0: Have a seat, everyone. We move into our teaching time. And by the way, you know, not that uh, I don't think we've ever said this like directly, but, you know, the reason why we have a longer teaching time at Lakeland Community Church is because we follow the the uh, reformations uh, 500 years ago, that model of the sacrament of the word and the sacrament of communion. So uh, the reformation brought into the church a longer teaching time from Scripture And that's the idea that we follow around here. Pretty common for churches like ours. So anyway, just thought I'd kind of state the obvious because it made me feel smart for a moment. Um, Okay, three lessons here, right smack dab in the middle of Lent. Three lessons for the season of Lent that I want to throw at you. But first, we have to have a Latin lesson. Hear who? Hear who? Who here knows Latin? This is going to be great because I don't know Latin either, so this is going to make us... So we can't make any mistakes because nobody's here to critique us, okay? All right, wait, did somebody just say this in? All right, anyway, so here we go, Latin. Three words, right? Fuge. No, don't say these yet. Fuge, tace, Quis. Fuge, tace, Quis. Okay, you know what they mean? Flee, be silent, pray always, or repose, prayer. Okay, now your turn. Fuge, Fuge. tace, tace. tace. quies. Again, Fuji. Oh, wait, wait. We messed that up. Fuji, Tase. Quis. Quis. God, we did it perfect, as far as we know. Um, and now, the Bible. And you don't have to say this. This is right out of the Gospels. Gospel of Matthew chapter 19, if you're pulling it up on your phone or whatever, or in your, or in your Bible. Matthew chapter 19. Then someone came to him, came to Jesus, and said, Teacher. What good deed must I do to have an eternal life? That's a pretty important question. What, what good deed? It's a deed, he's thinking, that you do to get eternal life. Interesting. And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Uh-oh. You know you're in trouble when they're going to start picking and choosing which commands are more important than the others. Bad start, guy talking to Jesus. Which ones? So Jesus said, and this is interesting. Jesus' response: No, he doesn't start with the first four, which are like uh, there's only one God, you can't have other gods, don't worship idols, all those kind of theology ones. He starts with the the low hanging fruit, with like the stuff everybody knows by the time you're three years old, or maybe four or five. Don't murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother also, and then just to sum it up in case you didn't get any of this, love your neighbor as yourself. Young man says to him, I've kept all these, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, Go sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. This text is rich. It's rich because verse, 19, uh, verse 21 is the critical one. Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect... Go sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And I find this, first off, this is actually what I'm talking about, but I find that verse intriguing because these are all the conditions that the man must do before he can follow Jesus. A life must change before you follow. Wow. What happened to all the kind of and grace, you know, and... Hey, come as you are, and it's all cool, whatever your baggage is. Apparently, you have to sell your possessions for this guy anyway. This one verse, verse 21, has sent hundreds of thousands of serious, devout Christians into the desert to draw close to God. And I'm going to tell you why. The year is 269 A.D. It's the third century. The church has been around about four or five generations. 269 A.D. And a young 18-year-old man named Anthony Antony. All week he's been mulling over this verse that he read himself. He's been thinking about it. What does it mean to be perfect? What does it mean? What, what, do I have to really sell everything? What, how do I follow Jesus? What is perfection? And then like so many times when all of us go to church, he shows up Sunday, him and his little sister I assume. They show up for church and guess what the sermon's about? Matthew chapter 19 verses 18 through 22. And he hears the word, sell your possessions, give it to the poor, leave it all behind, and come follow me. And Anthony says, that I shall do. He makes a little provision for his little sister, because both their parents had died and they inherited quite a bit of land, so they were kind of wealthy, so to speak. He makes a provision for his little sister to go live um, with some Christian women, and they're going to raise her. Anthony, 18 years old. Sells the rest of all the property, liquidates everything, gives it all to the poor, whatever is left after his little sister, and walks out of town into the desert, in the Egyptian desert. And that's not good enough, so he goes a little further, and a little further, and a little further. He's, uh, for all you geography nuts, he's between the Nile River and uh, the, the um, not the Dead Sea, the Red Sea. Yeah, okay. That's where he's at, right kind of in between the two. That's where he ends up. He's in an old fort, and he's been there for around 20 years, and Anthony's become famous in the third century as a young man. So now he's probably in his 30s, and people, men, not women, men, because they had to keep them separate, Men are coming out seeking Anthony. They want his wisdom. They hear he is the genuine article. He's the real thing. He is serious. This guy's intense. And he knows how to live life. And they want his wisdom. But they can't find him. They know he's in the fort. So they camp out outside the fort. And and I'm going to quote to you. And here's what they hear at night inside the fort. They used to hear crowds with clamoring, dining, sending forth piteous voices and cries, go from what is ours. What doest thou even in the desert? In other words, what are you doing in our desert? Can thou, can, thou canst not hold out against our schemes. There's a battle going on. The dining part I thought was interesting. By morning... It had become so quiet, they thought Anthony was dead, so they found a ladder somewhere. They climb into the fort, and there's Anthony sitting all by himself. There's no crowd, there's no dining, there's no piteous cries. And Anthony says to them, The demons work their fantasies against those who are cowardly. The demons work their fantasies against those who are cowardly. To be a coward is to fail first lesson, church, and it's short and sweet. By the power of the Holy Spirit of God, 18-year-olds can change the world if they are not cowards. By the Spirit of God, 18-year-olds can change the world if they are not cowards. Stand up to your demons, renounce the temptations of hell, Those very temptations that Jesus had in the wilderness, which is what Lent is based on, the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness. You know what they are. Turn these stones into bread. In other words, be relevant. Help somebody. Do something spectacular. Start something. And look good for it. Oh, the second temptation? Be spectacular. These angels will rescue you. If you throw yourself off, you'll get a million hits on YouTube, Jesus. Jesus. Oh, and the third one, be powerful. Bow down and worship me, Satan says, and I'll give you everything you ever wanted. Resist. All three temptations are the cowardly way. Remember, 18 year olds, Jesus was a backwater Nazarene country bumpkin who could not speak proper Hebrew because he had a thick accent. And yet, is there anyone who would change the world more than Jesus? Is there any individual in modern human history that has changed the world more than this man, Jesus? No. 18-year-olds can change the world if they're not cowards. Renounce the coin of the realm. Give it to the poor. Store up treasure in heaven and follow Jesus with reckless abandonment. No turning back. Answer the higher call. Some young person in our church. This is my prayer for the last two years. Some young person in this church, I pray, will be called to start or join or lead a ministry while they're in college. For the sake of Christ. I pray that God would raise up leaders. Young men and women in our midst. In college. Is it you? I pray for the conviction that there would be somebody sitting in church today. Next week. Some young person who is saying like Anthony. What must I do to follow? You can follow Jesus and fish for people, or you can follow the crowd and become an expert at fish tacos. Can you hear the desert's voice? Will you answer the call? Remember the timeless warning of Augustine. Contemporary of Anthony, by the way. Augustine in the fourth century. And Augustine said this. He said, nobody ever says no to Jesus. They just say not yet. Second lesson this morning, and this is kind of a Bible technical one. In the Hebrew language, the word perfection does not mean moral perfection. It may include it partly, but it does not mean moral perfection. This is not about being squeaky clean. When Jesus said, if you wish to be perfect, Jesus meant by perfection, he meant completeness. He meant wholeness. In the Hebrew, it means the entire thing holds together with integrity. That you are a person of character integrity. That you are well put together. It includes being moral. But it's not exclusively just being some moral fundamentalist. Moralism is the enemy of Christianity. Wholeness is what we're striving for. And I'm not just talking some psychological health, although that's important and part of it too. Wholeness and completeness is perfection. Now, my opinion is, I don't think Anthony knew that when he went out into the desert. He didn't think, I'm going into the desert to become whole and complete. That's what perfection is. I think he went into the desert to be away from sin and from the world. Actually, I didn't make that up. That's just what it says. What he ran into was his own baggage. In solitude, in silence, and in unceasing prayer, you get into your own junk. Flee, be silent, pray. You know, that's why I've worked so hard over the last years to take you guys away on retreat. Our modern culture has nothing built in that says to, to flee, be silent, and, and pray without ceasing. Everything will say exactly the opposite to you. It will say, hurry, 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 and be busy. Matter of fact, a sidelight. You know those, uh, when somebody's having their first baby or whatever, you know, and you're supposed to write those cards, that little game you play, like write something, you know, to the mom and dad, like what to tell them, you know, like stuff. I just started writing, never say the word hurry to your kid. Didn't work for me. I still said hurry to my kid. I take you guys on retreat because there's so little soil for the soul to grow in in our day and time. The pace is too fast. The money too urgent. Everything is demanding. The schedule is killing us. No one will ever stand around the lobby right after this service and stand out there and answer the question, hey, what have you been doing? What's going on? What's going what's happening? And no one will answer that question and say, I have been seeking the Lord. I've been waiting for the still small voice, the gentle whisper, that breeze. I've pulled the mantle over my head. Oh Lord. Nobody's going to say that. You know what? There's going to be one word. Hey, what have you been doing? You know what the word's going to be? You know what it is. I have been busy. And everyone will say, oh, good. I thought you were going to wind up like that old preacher guy in there telling us to all, you know, sit around and pray. You will say you're busy because busy gets you rewarded. Busy is what Everyone once. I was a junior in college, and my dad had a stroke. I mean a big stroke, aneurysm. Paralyzed on his left side for the rest of his life. Lost most of his mental faculty. I knew my dad paralyzed and incapacitated and disabled longer than I knew him healthy. My mom had diabetes and was in really bad shape. And here I am working my way through college because we didn't have the money. I'm trying to figure out after my dad's stroke, am I gonna drop out? Am I gonna have to work? How am I gonna make it? And I was just a mess. And I did the one thing that I knew instinctually to do because I grew up Boy Scout. I wasn't a good Boy Scout, but I was a Boy Scout. I went to the woods. I got my backpack, I got my sleeping bag, I packed up, and I ran by the grocery store, and I threw some whatever food in there, and I took off for the woods by myself. It's a creepy kind of weird feeling, going in the woods by yourself. Maybe some of you guys and gals just do it all the time. I I headed to the woods, and that night, around the fire, I talked out loud out in the woods, arguing, debating, preaching, whatever you want to call it, with God. And by morning, there I was, sitting by the small fire, cold and quiet. All of my words had gone up in smoke. I did not have any answers. But I had a relationship with God. Flee. Be silent. Pray. Third and final lesson. A tree is known by its fruit. Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And he's talking to the Pharisees You brood of vipers, what a great image. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person brings good things out of good treasure, out of a good treasure. The evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure. You can tell a tree by its fruit. What's weird about the Pharisees is they are squeaky clean. They are the most moral, righteous people around. Nobody argued with them about what's right because they already knew what was right. And I'm not just saying that they were, you know, that they were just being bombastic and telling people where to get off. I'm saying they actually lived a squeaky clean life. They kept all 613 laws of the Torah. They were incredibly righteous men. There were no women. The Pharisees were the original God squad. And Jesus calls them a brood of vipers. They let everybody around them know just how far they had all fallen and fallen short. And nobody could compete with them. You know what the Pharisees' fruit was? You know what their tree was producing? You know what kind of fruit was hanging off the Pharisees' tree? Legalism. Legalism. Legalistic self-righteousness. Moralism. Fundamentalism. That's what legalism was all about. I'll repeat it. Moralism is the enemy of Christianity. Christianity is not about morals. Christianity is about a life and a relationship with God through Jesus. Legalism, that was their fruit. Now, here's my thought about our modern day Christian fruit. What's our fruit? What's our fruit tree bearing? What's it look like in churches like ours? Okay, this church. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3 For the time will come Paul says for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires You get it They're just going to want to have their ears tickled by people they already agree with according to whatever they already have their own desires. I love this phrase. This is the New American Standard Bible, one of my, like my original type Bible translation because I just stuck in my brain. Ears tickled. If you go to the New Revised Standard, like a more recent translation, it says itchy ears. Choose your metaphor. Itchy ears, ears tickled. It just means, yeah, they just want something buzzy, something cool, and something that is so awesome they want to take a picture of it and post it. Which brings me to In-N-Out Burger. Anybody here been to In-N-Out Burger? Do I have an In-N-Out Burger crowd? Because In-N-Out Burger is a burger stand out west. And uh, In-N-Out Burger has a secret menu. Yeah, I see, you know. You me, we all know In-N-Out Burger's got a secret menu. So if I say Flying Dutchman, you know what I'm talking about. If I say... Animal-style fries. You know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Wink, wink. Ah, Those who know and those who don't. Cool, huh? We're all the in crowd. So I was in Phoenix this week, and I go into In-N-Out Burger, you know. I'm going to order fries, and I'm going to, like, use the secret menu because I'm hip. (laughs) And I say, I want my fries extra crispy. And then it happened. Because the young guy behind the counter said, extra crispy or super extra crispy? <laughs> <laughs> reet, 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 reet. Just, I melted down into a pool right there in the restaurant. I did not know they had super extra crispy fries at In-N-Out Burger. I looked like a fool. <laughs> so I just said extra crispy. I didn't know they were the same as the regular fries, by the way. You see, you and I... Our French fry experts, because the survey just came out about a month ago. Worldwide survey, most important document to human 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 experience. What is who makes the best French fry? It was not In n Out Burger; they were way down the list because theirs are just cut right there and fresh, and they throw in the oil and yeah. You know who has the best French fries, don't you? Oh yeah, Burger King comes close because they dip them in that like goo. But the best French fries is McDonald's. Yeah, you knew that. You know why? Because you are a professional, consummate, expert consumer. You can buy with one click and pay with Apple Pay. You've got a chip, multiple chips in your pocket that tell you exactly. You know every kind of Dorito and any other kind of orange food out there. Anything that ends with toast, Cheetos, Doritos, anything Tostitos. You know, you know. You know that there's restaurant style and that there's dipping style, and you can pick the french fries, fritos, any way you want. You are a professional consumer, and we bring it right into the church in our spiritual experience. We walk in here with our toes on. You know what I'm saying? And you walk in here saying, like, I wonder if they got super extra crispy fries in this place. Ma, they don't. We do that thing in our church experience. Notice I say church experience. I don't say church membership. In an older day, you would have said your church membership. But we don't say church membership. We'd say church experience. Because we don't like membership. And we don't like ritual. And we don't like liturgy. And we don't like doctrine. And we don't like creeds. And we don't like anything because it's all boring. Because life is boring boring if you just do the same thing once and that's why everyone's taking a picture of their meal and then tonight you're going to take another picture of your meal and that's going to be even the coolest most authentic experience ever until tomorrow, you know, Tuesday night we are shall I say addicted to consumerism or we're just all consummate professional choosers and we bring it into our spiritual life And we want a fresh, buzzy, snap, crackle, and pop, ear-tickling worship. We want vivacious, good-looking speakers. (laughs) We want intriguing announcements that are so snappy. And we want organic, free-range communion bread. (laughs) Authenticity means real and super-rich, fresh extra crispy. Otherwise, church is just meh. And it kills the church, and it kills the spiritual life. And the fruit that's hanging from the modern church is just consumerism. Authentic, we call it authentic consumerism. Buzzy authenticity. Not the genuine article thing. I'm talking the buzzy authenticity. Now, I know everybody disagrees with me because this is the water you swim in, and I'm like the lone voice out there. But our culture's mantra is authenticity is good, man. That's the fruit. Authenticity is good. And if the teaching's not authentic, and the worship's not authentic, and the prayer's not authentic, and the leadership's not authentic, and the community's not authentic, and the ministry's not authentic, then it's just vain, meaningless repetitions. Which means boring. And so we're moving on. But I'm convinced that authenticity is the false fruit of our modern day Christianity. This buzzy experience thing is killing us. Because a tree you know by its fruit. And so the fruit is you can put it to the test. Are we that person that at work people seek out because you are a spiritual, soulish Anthony kind of person. Are you the one that people turn to when they have problems? Because not just because you're smart and you're a therapist or something, but simply because you are a soul, you are a God man, a God woman, God student. Are you the one that is the most attractive person as far as soul is concerned? That rich person with a deep taproot down into the soil of God. That's how you test the fruit, are you it or not? You'll know a tree bites fruit, yeah, you know, I don't think Anthony was all concerned about like you know how authentic, buzzy, cool his desert experience was. <laughs> I don't think Jesus. Went off into the wilderness saying like, oh, man, I can't wait to Snapchat this. (laughs) Because I was really good on those answers to Satan. And you know that 40-day fast? Well, I can't really take a picture of the food. But, you know, it's going to sound so cool when I put this out there. I'm going to walk back into town and people are going to think like, you are so awesome, Jesus. You just spent 40 days without eating anything. Well, that was, uh, I think that was temptation number two to be spectacular, right? No, no, no. I've I've hung out with a lot of monks like Anthony. And they chop wood and pray. And they weave baskets and pray. And monks sweep and carry water and pray. They do really boring, mundane habits. Spiritual habits. Habits of work. And in that, they get the fluge, taje, quise, flee, be silent, pray. And that is the genuine, authentic article. Not buzzy experiences. <coughs> That's what we're being challenged with. The spiritual life, everyone, is built on habits. It is like training for a marathon. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, you are spiritual athletes. Ascesis. Ascesis in the Greek means athlete. It means you are going to study. And you're going to create habits that will train you up in the way. That's the fruit we're supposed to be producing. Before we go into communion... I got this story from the Desert Fathers. It's actually really cool, you know, that they actually recorded all these stories of these Abbas. They called them Abbas. It means Abbot. It means Father. And and here's one from the Desert Fathers. Old Abba Arsenius prayed to God, Lord, lead me in the way of salvation. And he heard a voice say to him, Arsenius, fuje, tasse, flee, be silent, pray always, for these are the source of sinlessness. And that's where that comes from, from the desert. Amen.